The sun was relentlessly hot as I made my daily journey to the well. Perhaps, I thought, I should reconsider my decision to make this journey at noon rather than early morning like most women. But then I remember why I chose this time of day. I tell others it's because of the quietness, the peacefulness, the solitude. You know, I've said it so much, I began to believe it myself. But on days like today, when the sun is beating down and the heat is oppressive, I must face the cruel reality and admit the heat of the midday sun is still more forgiving than the stress, the stares, the whispers, the disapproving looks of other women. Their condescending attitudes and biting comments about my past are far crueler than the sun's heat. So today, like every day, I made my trek to the well to provide for my thirsty family and my hungry family. But today was a little different. Today, I saw him. I saw him sitting there. I didn't know who he was. He was a stranger. He was a Jew. He was out of place. My first instinct was to turn and walk away, but I had come this far in the hot sun. It would have been foolish to turn around and walked away. So I simply sighed and I braced myself for his disdain, for his disdain, his disapproval, his condemnation. You see, the Jews, they don't like people like me. But when I looked into his eyes, I immediately saw there was something different about him. Instead of disapproval, I saw acceptance. Instead of condemnation, I saw compassion. Who was this strange man? And what was he, a Jew, doing in Samaria? After an awkward moment of silence, he spoke. Give me a drink. And suddenly, his purpose was clear. He was thirsty. Good morning, church. I am Melissa, and I don't really have a title here at the Vineyard Church. I'm just a girl who loves Jesus. <laughs> and I want to start this morning about talking about the elephant in the room. I haven't been in, on this stage all summer, and so you haven't seen me in a while, and I might look different than you remember. So I just want to tell you I lost 10 pounds. <laughs> I want to thank you, first of all, for this weekend. So, I, and I also want to be a little bit um, transparent with you. My week has been crazy busy, like crazy busy. So busy that I was sitting back there, and my daughter is visiting me from Canada. There's Lindsay. I talk about her all the time. That's my daughter, Lindsay. Um, I was sitting back there, and I was literally still typing my sermon. <laughs> And she leaned over and she said, are you still writing your sermon? I was like, yes. But she, my daughter, who's an encourager, she told me that Mozart used to write his sermons, I mean, write, compose music right before people played them. So I've just created a masterpiece. That's where, <laughs> that's what we're going to go with this morning. It has been a very, very 
busy week for me. We start school tomorrow. Um, Scott asked me what was I thinking when I decided to preach the day before school. I don't know, Scott. I really don't know what I was thinking. And I did not know, I mean, a lot of things happened that I didn't know was gonna happen. Well, one thing happened was that on, I think Thursday, um, we decided I would teach a double class. You know what a double class is? Instead of having 24 students, I have 48 students in one class. 48 academic students in one class. Yay me. Um, I told you I was God's favorite. So, <laughs> so it has been a very busy week and I don't feel, I was telling Leah, I don't feel prepared. But I'm so gr very thankful that his word is true and his grace is sufficient. And when I am weak, he is strong. So what you hear this morning is not me. It's Jesus. It's God. Because I have absolutely positively nothing in my um, in my strength to give you this morning. So I'm just giving you what Jesus has given me. I knew this week was going to be busy, so I actually wrote my sermon last weekend when I was at the beach. I was sitting on the beach writing my sermon, but I haven't had a chance to tweak it. or So it is what it is, okay? So grace and mercy, right? We're a church of grace and mercy. I want to thank you this, for this weekend. Uh, these are some pictures from our outreach on this weekend. We, when it's all said and done, I think we will have served about 75 children, given them complete everything they needed for school supplies, including book bags. And you were a big, huge part of that. So I want you to give yourselves a hand this morning because I really do appreciate and love you. This makes my heart happy. I love how we as a church are God's hands and feet. I love how we willingly and happily demonstrate the love of God. And it, whether you donated your time, you donated your money, whether you prayed, whether you thought about us, you were all part of this. You were all part of taking the gospel into the streets. And I am so, I can't, I can't express to you my gratitude. You are making a difference in the lives of many. Thank you. But as I say that, can I share with you a secret? I'm not satisfied. <laughs> I'm not. I want more. I do want more. And when I was writing this, I wrote, hear my heart, I'm not asking more of you. That's what I wrote. But then as I thought about it, I realized that was a lie. I am asking more of you. I'm asking more of the body of Christ. I'm asking more of me. I, wanna, I want to take the gospel out like Jesus took the gospel out. I want to thirst like Jesus thirsted that day. I want, Jesus had a heart for Samaria. I want to have a heart. I want to hunger and thirst after Samaria. What brought Jesus to the, to the table that day? What brought him to Samaria that morning, that afternoon? What? His feet? Yes, he did. He walked there. Yes, he did. But why? As you know, you've heard the story that the, the Jews avoided Samaria. They walked around Samaria. 
So why did Jesus, as the Bible says in John 4, 4, why did he have to go through Samaria? That word had to go in, in, in the um, Greek is die. It's spelled D-E-I, but it's pronounced die. Why did he die to go through Samaria? If we read what was going on before, and that word die means a necessity, a requirement. It's a necessity established by the counsel and decree of God, especially by that purpose of his which relates to salvation of men by the intervention of Christ. It is the same word Jesus used when he said, I have to suffer for you. I have to go to Jerusalem and suffer. It was the same word. It's the same word he used when the woman who had been bent over for 18 years stood in front of him and the, the, the Pharisees got offended because he healed her. He said, I had to heal her. It was a necessity. That same necessity is the same word used when he said, I have to, I must, I got to do it, go through Samaria. What gave him this hunger, this desire to go through Samaria when all other Jews avoided it? What made him so that he had to go through Samaria? Let's go back to what happened in John 3. This happened in, in John chapter 4. What happened in John chapter 3? In John chapter 3, Jesus had an encounter with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. But he gave Nicodemus one of the most theologically deep truths of the Bible. John 3.16. We can all quote John 3.16. Not looking at the screen because that's a little different version. But let's all quote it together. What is it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe shall not perish but have everlasting life. We all know that. We can all speak that. That is a theological truth. There's no argument about that in the body of Christ. We all agree on John 3.16. But I think we can say something so often it, it can become trite that we don't hear what we're saying. So I just want to go through that scripture with you for a second and talk about some of the words in there. For God so loved. What does that word love mean? It is the agape love that we talk about. Unconditional love. It's the love we sang about earlier today when we talked about the reckless love of God. It doesn't require anything of us. It is something that is just given to us because God is good, because God is love. Therefore, he loved. God so loved the world. Now, this is where I think we, we don't hear what God is saying here. The world. Is God saying he loves the earth? The atmosphere? Who is, what is God talking about when he said, I love the world? The people of the world. Is he saying, I love only Christians? And I only love people who will receive me. I love only the Jews. That word world means human family, everyone. Check this out. It means the ungodly multitude, the whole mass of men and women alienated from God and hostile to his ways. 
God spoke something into my heart. I'm going to say this, and Leah and Josh, if I need to be corrected on it, I need you to correct me. But God spoke this in my heart. And it's a very hard saying. It is a very difficult saying. And he said, I love the child, and I love the child trafficker. That's a hard thing to wrap my mind around. As a descendant of enslaved people, how can God say, I love the slave, the enslaved people, and I love the slave owners? But that's what God says. When we talk about the reckless love of God, it is not just for us as Christians. He loves the world. Everybody in the world recklessly gave. But God so loved the word that he gave, that word gave me to bestow upon. Whosoever, whosoever, everyone. It's an inclusive term. It means everyone. That anyone who believes, that word believes means put their trust in, shall not perish, we shall not be ruined, we shall not be destroyed, but we will have everlasting, without end, life, life to the fullness. This is my version of that. For, ghost, for God so loved, ooh, I hope you guys can read that because I can't. <laughs> for God so loved his the ungodly multitude, the whole mass of people alienated from him and hostile to his, to the cause of God. <laughs> it's just the light. I can read. It's a requirement. <laughs> that he bestowed a gift, his precious and cherished son, so that everyone and anyone, whosoever commits their trust, believes in him, would not be ruined, destroyed, perish, but have a full, purposeful, Fruit bearing, as, God, as Josh talked about this morning, a fruit bearing existent life without end, everlasting. That is what John 3.16 says. Ch let's change our mind around that. Because when we read, when I read John 3.16, I think about me. God so loved me. Which is true, but there's a bigger truth to that. He loved the world, every person in this world. He loves the child and the child trafficker. That's a hard truth. I know it is, but it is truth nonetheless. I cannot wrap my head around that, but God is big. He is so much bigger than I am. Jesus was hungry to demonstrate what he had preached. God loves the world. He loves Samaria. So what did Jesus do? He demonstrated it. And how did he demonstrate it? He went. God so loved the world. He loves Samaria. He loves you. He loves public school. God loves the world. If we read Jesus, if we read the gospel, we see that this was a pattern with Jesus. Do you guys remember the story of Zacchaeus? Do you remember the story of Zacchaeus? I know you read about it in, in, when you were a child. Isn't there a song? Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember it, but there, no, there's a song. And Zacchaeus was a tax collector. 
Now that doesn't sound bad. I work for the IRS. It doesn't sound like you're a bad person, but this was more than just being a tax collector. They were traitors to their people. The Roman government was taxing them and not only would they exact the tax of the Roman governor, government, they would take some for themselves. So they were traitors to the, their people. They were scorned. Um, he was, and he was not just a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. He was a cheater, a thief, a betrayer of his people. He was selfish, he was greedy, he was rich. He was considered a chief sinner by his people. So his people, the Jewish people, they rejected him, they scorned him, they despised him, they avoided him, they disliked him. And I'm not saying that I wouldn't. I mean, he was stealing from his people. They had every right not to like him. They had every right to scorn him. But Jesus walked through the crowds that day on Jericho, and he invited himself over to stay with the despised, the unwanted, the betrayer, the tax collector. This was scandalous. And this is how we know Jesus was black, because he would just go invite himself to people's house. He was like, I'm a black preacher. We're going and we're coming to your house tomorrow, Zacchaeus. And the people, not the Pharisees, normally it's the Pharisees that, you know, uh, underwear and a wad. But it was the people. It was the everyday people. It was church folk like you and me. It was the people who complained. That's how bad this was. That's how scandalous it was. The people complained. How could Jesus, who said he came to save us, who said he's one of the people, how could he possibly go to someone who is abusing us? How could he possibly want to sit at his table? Because Jesus loves Samaria. That, would, that makes you wonder. Does it not make you wonder if Jesus, I'm going to give you a minute to think about this. If Jesus was walking the streets of America in 2023, where do you think he would have dinner? Who do you think he would eat with? And whoever came to mind, I'm just going to remind you right now, might be your Samaria. It might be that place that you have trouble going. It might be that place that you have trouble seeing that these people will ever be saved. Where do you see him eating? Jesus had this amazing way of seeing people, not as they were at the moment, but how they were created to be. He had this way of accepting, accepting people before they were acceptable to society. He loved people while they were still in their mess. He fellowshiped with people while they were still making bad choices. We live in this amazing, horrible cancel culture. Jesus would not participate in this cancel culture that we live in. He didn't unfriend, unfriend people. Think about this. Even as Judas was betraying him, what did Jesus call him? Friend. What kind of love is that? Even while this woman was shacked up 
with some man after having five husbands, Jesus chose to have a conversation with her. Jesus' love extended both to the Pharisees and the sinners. I hunger and thirst to love like Jesus did. Here's my prayer. Lord, teach us, teach me to love like Jesus. How many, how many of you are kids of the 90s? Remember, you're a kid of the 90s? <laughs> and we all had, we, you all had, because I'm not a kid of the 90s. I was a mom in the 90s. Um, we all, you all had your little bracelets. What did your little bracelet say? WWJD, what would Jesus do? That was the question of the 90s. And now you 90s kids have grown up, and I challenge you to change your breast bracelet. And my challenge is to change it to this. Let's do what Jesus did. Let's stop wondering. Let's get our Bibles out. Let's read the Gospels and see what Jesus did, and then let's do it. Yeah. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> He would love first. Let's do what Jesus did. Let's love first. Jesus has commissioned us to love like he loves. Let's look at Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8 says this, but you shall receive power. This is after Jesus had been resurrected. After he had died and been resurrected, he, um, he came to his disciples, and they were still looking for a military king. They were still looking for him. And they were like, okay, Jesus, when are we going to take over the world? And Jesus said to them, you're going to take over the world, but not militarily. Not, okay, I'm just going to get into it because I'm tired and I'm just going to say what I want to say. Not politically. We are not going to take over this world politically. God said that this is how we're going to take over the world. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let me tell you what I think those words mean uh, metaphorically. I hope I'm using the right word. I'm a math teacher, not an English teacher. <laughs> Jerusalem is our families, that which is nearby. You should be a witness. I think it's the next slide. You should be a witness first and foremost to your family. Secondly, we should be a witness to our community. Generally, our community are those people in our neighborhoods, and people in our neighborhoods generally have the same uh, social economic status, right? They generally are, you know, just have that middle class value, and it's easy to be a witness to them. Let me tell you where it's not so easy to be a witness to today, and that is our Samaria. Those in our, they're in our community, but they don't necessarily have our same values. They don't necessarily vote like we vote. They don't necessarily, are, they're not necessarily church people. They're in communities that we as a church need to learn to love. Amen. Our Samaria could be the L, let me see if I can get it. LGBTQ community. For some of you, your Samaria might be Democrats. 
We need to learn to love people who think differently than we do. We need to love people who are both pro-choice and pro-life. That is our Samaria. Are we willing to go to our Samaria? If Samaria came into this church today, could we accept it? Could we love them unconditionally? Mm. It seems in today's cancel culture, the hardest place to reach is Samaria. And it seems to me that as Christians, we no longer even want to reach our Samaritan regions. I've heard pastors say things in the pulpit, not this, not this pulpit, <laughs> not this pulpit, not in a vineyard pulpit, but I've heard pastors say things that I'm just amazed. I'm wondering, have you read the gospel? Have you read Jesus, what Jesus did? I've heard pastors say that a particular uh, political group was not welcomed in their church. Wow. How can you say this? We are ready and willing, the church, not us, not you guys. You guys are wonderful. But it seems that the church has become ready and willing to condemn Samaria. Even though if we finish reading John 3.16 and read John 3.17, it says, but God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. God, Jesus didn't come to condemn us. That's in scripture. I'm not making this up, people. Read it. It's in John 3.17. Jesus did not come to condemn us. That's not part of the grow your church plan. We have to change our hearts about Samaria. Like Jesus, we have to thirst for Samaria. And so how do we cultivate that? Let's go to the next slide. How do we cultivate a hunger for the lost? Yes, I know it is a work of the Holy Spirit. I know that. I understand that. But I also know Paul told Timothy to stir up the gift that is inside of us. So we need to stir up that love for Samaria. Because you see, when we read Acts 1.8, 1-8 is a commission to all of us, regardless to our giftings. We took that nice little gifting test. Are you a prophet? Are you a, a, a teacher? Are you a pastor? It does not matter. We're all called to go into Samaria. Because Jesus said, you shall. And it was, he said, you shall. You shall. It shall happen. And the thing is this. We are all being a witness in Samaria. It's just a matter of what is our witness saying. Amen. And our witness as a church, as a church as on the whole, has not said a lot. Amen. Our witness as a church as a whole, not this church, we have turned people off from the goodness and the gospel of God. Amen. What does your witness say? I want a hunger for Samaria. I want to cultivate this hunger. So I'm going to give you five ways to do that. Five ways to hunger. First is to eat more. That may not make sense, but when you eat more, your stomach is enlarged and you really do crave more food. But I want you to eat more. I want you to devour the word of God. Read the Gospels. Read Acts. Study the way Jesus interacted with other people. Read the book of Acts. Get hungry to see miracles and signs and wonders again. 
Go back and meditate on, on John 3.16. Think about what God meant when he said, I love the world. I want to love who God loves. I want to be hungry like Jesus was hungry for Samaria. Eat more. Secondly, eat less. <laughs> Spend time in his presence. Fast. Turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah 58. I don't have many scriptures written, but I am going to cover some. I want you to turn with me to Isaiah 58. I want you to see the power of fasting. We're not going to read every, uh, it's a long chapter. I, again, meditate on this. On your own time, meditate on this. Isaiah 58. It's called the fasting chapter. So if you're ever thinking about fasting, read Isaiah 58. Fasting is not a hunger strike against God. Okay, it's not like you're saying, I'm not going to eat again, God, until you do what I tell you to do. That's not what a fast is for some reason. And I don't know why this works spiritually, but it is in that denying of ourselves and and focusing on God that we our spirit. I don't know. For some reason, seems to have better communication with God. I don't know how that works. You can tell me how that works, but I don't know how it works. I just know it works. Right. I don't know how my car works. I just know it drives. So that's all you need to know. Isaiah 58, 6. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. This is what we want to do in our Samaria. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring, this is verse 7, and that you bring your house and that you bring into your house the poor who are cast out. Verse 9. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer you. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, and I like this, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. I never saw that until last night. The pointing of the finger. We got to stop pointing fingers, people. We got to stop looking at people and saying, you're doing this and you're doing that. Verse 14. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you, because we're going back to that being hungry, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's begin fasting again. Let's begin fasting and hungering for the loss. We, okay, this is, I don't want to be political, but we have to start looking at things from a spiritual point of view. Do you realize that God is sending the nations to us? Do you realize this? That my classrooms have more people who were, who, um, I have more Indian, Asian, Latino people in my class than I have Caucasians. The Lord is bringing the nations to us, and we're complaining about it. We should get excited. It is our opportunity to spread the gospel to the world. Stop pointing the fingers, and let's get back to loving people. So let's eat more, devour the word of God. Let's eat less, let's fast, and let's eat salty food. 
hang around people who are in the trenches, who are ministering to their Samaria. Um, we were just recently at the National Convention, the Vineyard National Convention, and it made my heart happy, and it also made me hungry when I heard so many pastors speak about going into their neighborhoods and changing their neighborhoods. That made my heart so happy. It made me hungry to do the same thing. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron, sharpens iron right? So as we hang out with people who are salty, we hang out with people who are doing the thing, it's going to make us hungry for the same thing. Let's hang out with people who are going into their uh, Samaria. And I promise you, um, Amy, this was in my notes. The fourth one is exercise, and I have, just do it. <laughs> I promise you it's in here. <laughs> Go into Samaria. Just do it. We, we do this as Embolden Ministry and the Vineyard Church. We do this six times a year right now. More is coming. <laughs> More is coming. We do this six times a year. We go into Samaria. We go into those places that you would not go normally. And we love people. Come out with us. Enjoy it with us. Yes, sometimes it's hot. Yes, sometimes it's uncomfortable. But you only have to do it for three hours, and then you can go home to your nice, comfortable beds. I promise you. But come out with us. We're, our next one is in November. We're going out and delivering groceries. Make, 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 it a, make a decision right now, today, to go out with us and just pray for people. Because you will become hungry when you do it. When you do it once, you're going to hunger and thirst to do it again. Just do it. Number five, envision. See your Samaria save. Okay, I'm going to tell you another political story. I'm sorry. I watch too much YouTube. <laughs> but this is a true story. There is a pastor, a well-known pastor, a well-known pastor, who is planning crusades in certain cities. And his job, his, his, his vision is to get people saved so they could vote a certain way. I'm not kidding you. I'm not making this stuff up. This is a well-known pastor. If I were to say his name, some of you would know it. I'm not going to say his name. Because that hurt my heart. Our goal is not, we want to see people saved, but that being saved does not mean they will agree with us politically. Being saved does not mean they will agree with us on a lot of things. Our goal is to get butts, not butts in seats, but souls in heaven. That is the goal of what we do, is to get people right with God. Stop saying, stop saying this. Oh, I love the person, I hate the sin. Just love the people. That's it. Let the Holy Spirit deal with their sin. Just love people. The Spirit will convict us of righteousness, the Bible says. Pray for your Samaria. When I, one of the things I think um, his name was just mentioned, the older guy from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Syracuse. John <laughs> I also don't teach geography. All right. One of the things, I went to one of his breakout sessions, and one of the things he encouraged us to do was to pray for our city. 
to find out about our city and pray for it. Let us go to Samaria and pray for it. Let's prayer walk areas. Who wants to go with me? I can arrange them. We can go. We can prayer walk Maple Ridge, which is the um, low income community up the road. We can prayer walk some of these sit, some of these neighborhoods. And, and I got you all and I saw that. I'm going to call you. We can just walk through and just pray for people. And when you pray for people, pray for people like you would want someone to pray for you. We're not praying. You know, it's actually witchcraft to pray that someone do what we want them to do. That's just another form of witchcraft that the church sometimes engages in. Our God is, our goal is not them to get them to agree with us politically, to agree with us on, on culture issues. Our job is to see them in heaven. That's our, that's our job. So how do we create a hunger for Jesus in Samaria? When we go to Samaria, how do we go? Because the problem is we've gone to Samaria and we've gone judgmentally. <laughs> we've, ju we've gone and we've gone uh, condemning people. And then we walk out and say, why wasn't anybody saved? <laughs> let's do, again, let's do what Jesus did. I need you to turn. We're going to be here for a minute. John 4. I am, you know, we got to add scripture to make this legal. I'm not making this up. Go to John 4, please. I want everybody to go to John 4 because we're going to do this together. And I want you to go to verse 5. Everybody's there? I don't have this. I'm going to make you work today. I'm not going to put the scripture up. I'm going to make you use your Bibles. Oh, no. John 5. He came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus therefore being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaria. Our first point, when we go to Samaria, we have to spread the love of God. That's absolutely necessary. Jesus went. He met with someone who society said he should not be friends with. He was talking to someone society says he should not talk to. He overcame that barrier to sit and have a conversation with the woman in Samaria. I also want you to notice this. He asked her for a drink of water. Too often when we go into Samaria, we go in as I am your savior. How can, what can I do for you? And sometimes we need to recognize the expertise that's in Samaria because that gives a person dignity when we say, hey, you have value. I need something from you. That is giving a person dignity. Jesus gave people dignity. Even Zacchaeus, he said, I'm coming to your house. 
I'm going to let you serve me, giving him dignity. We've got to give people dignity when we go in Samaria. We can't go in Samaria as if we are all-knowing and all-right. We have to love, we have to spread the love when we're in Samaria. Secondly, and again, we talked about this this morning, we need to smell like Jesus. Um, I'll tell you a quick story. I was teaching one day, and um, we used to have the kids with uh, learning disabilities would come in, and they would collect our recyclables and leave. And there was one little kid, he just loved to talk. He just, just, so I'm teaching class, and he was supposed to come in and get the recyclables, and he just walks up to me and starts having a conversation and telling me about when Horton met the movie, when Horton met a who or something that just came out, and he's just started telling me that, and I'm supposed to be teaching, and I, so I just stopped, and I engaged in the conversation with him, and then he looked at me, and he said, and you smell good, and turned around and walked out. <laughs> we have to smell like Jesus. John 4, 10 through 15. Let's see what Jesus did. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He's making her thirsty. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our Father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but, that, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. He drew her in. There was something about him that was different that made her want what he had. We've got to live a life where we smell our fragrance makes people drawn to us. We have got to live a life where people want what we have. And the only way that we can live a life like that is if we get into the presence of the God, of God, of the living, the living God. We've got to get into his presence so that when we go through trouble, you remember the, the, the um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were put into the fire, the Bible says they came out and they no longer smelled like, they didn't smell like smoke. You remember that? We have to just want and crave for Jesus' presence so much that not only when we go through the fire, we come out not smelling like fire, but we come out smelling more like him. That we, 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 we have this fragrance, this aroma that follows us, that people are drawn to, and they want to be like us, and they want to know what we know. But we don't use it as for our gain. We use it to point people to Jesus. Because he is the one who provides the aroma. We got to smell good, people. We had to put on our smell good every morning. And I'm not talking about your Chanel 500. We got to put on our smell good, which is the presence of God, every single morning. Number three, we have to show his power. 
Let's read John 4, 16 through 19. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. In that, you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I, sir, I perceive you might be a prophet. <laughs> Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you, Jesus, say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. We're going to get to that in a minute. But Jesus showed her the, a lot of people think when Jesus said that he was calling her out. I don't believe he was calling her out. I believe that was a word of knowledge to demonstrate the power of God. A word of knowledge to say, hey, I know you. I see you. And I still accept you. I think that's what Jesus was doing. You can disagree with me on that, but I don't think that's, I don't think he was calling her out in her sin. He was just showing her who he was. When we go to Samaria, our job is not to call people out in their sin. Let me give you a hint. They know they are sinners. They don't need you to tell them that. What they don't know is the love of God. What they don't know is that they can be different. They don't know that. They think they're stuck in their sin. We have to go to them and show them that there is a better way. There is the way of God that what's going on in your life can be broken. They don't need to be calling. And I don't think Jesus was doing that. I think he was showing her the power of God. Mark 16, 15 commands us to preach the gospel, to go in all the world and preach the gospel with power, with signs and with wonders. We have to demonstrate the power power of God. Think about what the disciples did when they turned the world upside down in Acts. How did they turn the world upside down? With signs and wonders. When people left them, they perceived, they, these people are uneducated. That word uneducated, I think in the Greek I was told this week, means idiot. <laughs> Seriously. These people are idiots, but there's something about them. They have been with God. We got to show the power of God. 420, I'm going to start back in verse 19. Oh, I read too much. Verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We, what the, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such, such to worship him. And so my fourth point is when we go into Samaria, stay on brand okay this woman wanted to have a conversation she wanted to have a debate about where to worship okay we do that people you'll go you're beginning to speak to people and they will well, what about this why doesn't God do this if God loved everybody why do why are people hurting if God did this if God really loved us why does he send us to hell and they want us to get in a theological debate but Jesus didn't have it he stayed on brand what is our brand I'm going to tell you what your brand is when you go to Samaria. Jesus loves. 
Jesus crucified, Jesus resurrected, Jesus saves. That's it. That's all you need to tell them. They do not have to have a mm, degree in theology to get to heaven. God, when you get to heaven, God is not going to say, what did you think about Jeremiah 59, 2, verse 2? Give me a theological debate on that. You don't have to write a paper in heaven. Okay? Your theology does not have to be perfect to get in heaven. I know we like theology, right? We like theology and we need to know theology. But look at the guy who was saved on the cross. You don't need a theological degree from seminary to get to heaven. So when you're saving people, forget about all the theology. This is the theology they need to know. Jesus loves, Jesus crucified, Jesus resurrected, Jesus saves. That's it. That's all they need to know. Stay on brand. Stay on brand. Five. John 26. It's simple. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Simple. Let's point people to Jesus. Let's point people to his glory. His word says, if I be lifted up, what's going to happen? I will draw all men unto me. We don't have to worry about it. You don't have to be perfect. Just lift up the Savior and let him do the heavy lifting. Okay? Five things. We need to spread the love of God. We need to smell like Jesus. We need to show his power. We need to stay on brand. We need to signify his glory. Those five things. That's what we're going to do when we go to Samaria. Right? So when you go with me in November, these are our five talking points. Okay? After an encounter with Jesus, this woman was forever changed. We're wrapping it up, I promise. She came at noon to avoid the crowd. After an encounter with Jesus, she left her water pot because her purpose had changed. She sought out a crowd. Remember, she came at noon to avoid the crowds. After an encounter with Jesus, she sought out the crowds. She went to the city. Why? Because her identity changed. She came feeling ashamed. She left feeling empowered. Her identity changed. She testified. She went to the city and she testified of Jesus. Why? Her paradigm had changed. She led others to Jesus. Why? Her mission had changed. That's the encounter. That's what I want to do. I love that we have won the hearts of the people in the communities that we go to. I love, my, my, my daughter mentioned this on Friday night, I love hearing Miss Melissa, Miss Melissa, that's what they call me, Miss Melissa. I love that they know my name. I love that we've won their hearts. Everything that you have done has helped us win their hearts, but now I'm ready to win their souls. Amen. I want to go into Samaria. And, and I want them to have an experience so that their purpose change, their identity change, their paradigms change, their missions change. That is the goal of what I want to do. I 
want to hunger and thirst after Samaria. And in order to do that, we need to remember, oh, I got some more notes here. Jesus did this without condemning. He did it without calling her out. He did it without judging. How did he do it? He did it by going. We got to stop waiting for people to come to us. We got to go to them. He did it by having a conversation. He did it by giving her dignity. He, get, he did it by loving her. And he did it by pointing her to himself. That is our do, our job. Let's do what Jesus did. Don't you want to have encounters like this? Jesus started this discourse by, taking, by asking someone to drink, by asking drink from an, old, an unholy woman. He ended this course by reminding his disciples that his food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That was Jesus' food, John 4.34. I'm hungry for Jesus' food. I want to eat like Jesus. How about you? I want to hunger and thirst to extend and expand the church, the table at this church and the church. I want our table to be filled with people of diverse backgrounds and diverse upbringings and diverse um, ethnicity. I don't want this church <laughs> to be three black people in the back. That's what I don't want. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to go with me? As we go, I want to remind you of some, certain, of some truths about who you are. All we need is faith as small as a mustard seed. I read this the other day, and I had never read this in this context before, but the disciples asked Jesus to increase their faith. And Jesus basically said to them, that's not how we pray. You have what you need. He said, all you need is faith as size as a mustard seed, and you already have that. So we, you have the faith you need to do what Jesus called you to do. Right here, right now. It's just like planning to have a baby. If you plan to have a baby and wait till you're prepared, you will never have a baby. Because <laughs> you will never feel prepared. You will never feel like you have enough faith. So what do we do, Amy? Just, just do it. Two, the kingdom of God is within you. I love this statement. The kingdom of God is within you. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now, and I want you to tell your neighbor, the kingdom of God is within me. The kingdom of God is within me. All right. She said, I got to go. One more thing. Most of Jesus' ministry was outside the church. I love altar ministry, but that is not where it's happening. It is happening outside these doors. Let's go, people. All right, number four, the fields, Jesus said, the fields are ripe for the harvest. Like I said, people have come to us, to this nation, and now we need to go out to them. Those are the truths that we're going to live on. Let's do it. Let's go to our Samaria. Let's be light in the darkness. Let's go out to where people are, people who look like us, think differently than us, have a different moral compass than we do, maybe even have a different faith than we have, and know that God has called them. Let's do it, and let's do it now.